1: All right. Well, hey, great to be with you, Hillside Church. Uh, What a joy it is to be here today and just, yeah, a gift to be able to uh, preach. I don't get to do this too often anymore. I'm uh, part of this regional team that oversees 114 churches across Alberta and one in the Northwest Territories. Please continue to pray for the Northwest Territories and for B.C. as well uh, as all these fires are raging. Um, But it's great. It's great to be here today. Thank you for having me. And, yeah, please do listen to our one-hit Uh, Our one-hit wonder. Listen to that as many times, because that will buy me a coffee once a quarter. So uh, we still receive royalties, like every four months. Uh, It's like two bucks and fifty cents. So hallelujah, praise God for that. Uh, It's the the band is to die for, and the song is dying to live. There was a death theme, but of the opposite, the victory of Jesus and uh, and new life. So yeah. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Let me, yeah, Brad talked a little bit about uh, what I get to do these days. Um, But really, the the primary thing, is getting to walk alongside of church plants and church planters and, and churches as they seek to multiply um, and to identify and train and deploy new leaders uh, that would start new churches in new places and amongst new people groups where Jesus is not yet known or where the gospel is not communicated in a language or mode where people understand uh, or maybe it's where people have limited access to the gospel. And friends, Canada really is a mission field for a variety of reasons. Um, and really, this is the heartbeat of this church. Really, a heartbeat of Foursquare uh, Gospel Church of Canada, right? To participate in the missionary expanse of that, the ever-growing uh, network of healthy churches served by pastors who lead by example, like Brad, and filled with uh, believers like you, uh, many of you, who are actively growing and sharing your faith with others. And so I want to just say I celebrate this with you. I celebrate you and your, your faithfulness to the gospel, and for your commitment and sacrifice and your hard work to see Jesus known in every household and in the heart of every man and woman and child here in Airdrie uh, and beyond. And I, I just want to say I love this city. I spent 23 years of my life uh, living here and uh, growing up here and serving and pastoring here. And uh, while it's not home technically any, anymore... Uh, it still very much feels like home, and so I have a real soft spot in my heart for this uh, this place. Uh, and then, um, yeah, Kingdom City, Airdre Alliance, it's there that I, I was able to meet my wife, Katie, who's here, hi, Katie, uh, in the back, hiding, and then our three kids uh, aged, uh, how old are you guys, 10, nine, and six. That's a good dad moment, isn't it? Where you remember the age of your children. I feel, you should be proud of me. Um, but yeah, my family's here today, too. My parents and my sister and brother-in-law, this is great. Mother-in-law is here. Wow. I've got like the whole back row. Everyone's cheering me on here this morning. All right, let's get into it, okay? Um, I want to talk about something uh, that I'm, just, I'm really excited about today. Uh, and not just today. I'm, I'm in, in excited about it all of the time. Um, but it's this thing that God has called us into, every single one of us, to partner with him in his great mission of transforming the world and seeing his kingdom come. I mean, this is how he teaches his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I I want to talk about uh, this thing um, called the the movement of the church and this this movement that God has invited each of us to play a role in and to participate in. Uh, Friends, if you didn't know, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is advancing. And it has been ever since Jesus arrived uh, on the scene some 2,000 plus years ago. Right in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus came uh, announcing the arrival of the kingdom, the rule and reign of God. And he attested to the arrival of this this heavenly reality when he quoted the prophet Isaiah uh, in Luke chapter 4. Actually, this is just part of my, my reading this morning. These words from Isaiah, chapter 61, he, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to uh, proclaim freedom from captives uh, for captives, to release from the darkness those who are imprisoned. And, and then Isaiah goes on a little bit later, and he says, uh, to, to rebuild ancient ruins, to restore places long devastated, renew ruined cities. This was an integral part uh, of Jesus' ministry, his messianic call. This is the reason that he gave his very life, as Brad has reminded us today, to bring redemption and restoration of all things back to the way God intended at the beginning of creation. Uh, Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says this, and I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but he's in the business, friends, of renewing and restoring all things. He's in the business of changing and transforming the world, a world that is now marred and corrupted by sin, a world where things are just not the way that they were meant to be. Jesus came announcing and and demonstrating the superior reality of the kingdom of heaven. And it's a kingdom that's both already and not yet. It's both here and it is coming in all of its fullness and beauty, and it will be here completely that day when Jesus, our soon-coming king, arrives. And this is good news, friends. And yet it also it gets better for us, because between Jesus' first coming and His second coming, he has invited each of us to join him in his mission of transforming the world. Matthew 28: Jesus has these famous words: "Go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, and surely I'm with you always to the end uh, of the age. This was Jesus' commission to his disciples. In John 20, likewise, Jesus says these words to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. And then with that, he, he breathes on them. I won't do that on you this morning. But he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Spirit. Explicit in these verses is the fact that this was not only Jesus' call. It was his call. This was his mission and his mandate. But so too is it ours. This is our calling. In the same way that he has been sent. The same mission. In the same spirit empowerment. He is now saying, go. Go and change the world. And just like Jesus' first disciples, just like the early church, and all of those who have come before us today. Friends, you and I have been invited to join Jesus in his mission of redeeming and restoring all things. And it's, it's an incredible invitation, isn't it? And let's be honest, uh, the world is longing for change these days, isn't it? When you think of the times that we're living in, the times that we've just come out of, you know, a global pandemic. I'm I'm reminded of those words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, where he says, since the fall of of humanity, way back in Genesis 3, how all of creation has been groaning, he says, groaning as in the the pains of childbirth, and right up to this very present moment. Uh, Any parents out there today? Anyone? Any parents? Yeah. Uh, My wife and I had friends over uh, just Friday who uh, shared... So they're expecting uh, a child. And you know, as you do, when you hear that, you kind of reminisce, if you're a parent, um, uh, about giving birth. And uh, let me tell you, I was there three times. People groan. Women, my, my wife, you groan. She's grimacing right now. Don't say that. But there's this, this groaning during childbirth. It's a sign of what is to come. And creation is groaning, friends. Waiting in eager expectation for her liberation for her freedom, her transformation, do you you hear it? Creation is longing to be restored and made made new, and and yet, let me tell you, a social uprising or economic reform, another vaccine, advancements in AI technology, a new prime minister, man none of these things are the ultimate answer to the redemption and the restoration that the world is is desperately longing for. Friends, the answer is found only in Jesus, and the transformation that he and he alone can bring. Jesus came to change the world, and he has invited each of us to join him in that. And so if we've been invited by God to join him in this mission, uh, if we, the church, if we're going to be successful in that that mandate of seeing God's kingdom come in all of its fullness and beauty, uh, what then are the keys to seeing this become a reality? Uh, Is there some magical formula we need to follow? No. No. Uh, is it simply just a matter of, you know, working harder, just trying a little bit harder each and every day? No. And maybe you're asking this morning, is this just a pipe dream? Is it even possible? Or is this something that we, we really might see in our lifetime? Friends, I believe the latter to be true. I really do. But, but it's going to take a generation of women and men who have been with Jesus Disciples who are shaped and marked and transformed by Jesus himself. It's going to take a generation of men and women who are full of the spirit of God. And it's going to take a generation of those who are dedicated to, uh, have dedicated the entirety of their lives to this great mission of God. To the advancement of the kingdom and to the transformation of all things. So as I've been reflecting on, on this, of like, how, how do we do that? How do we participate in this mission of God? What would it look like to actually you know, change the world? Uh, I was struck afresh uh, this past year by the story of the early church in Acts, uh, this ragtag group of ordinary women and men who catalyzed the greatest movement the world has ever seen. Uh, if you haven't read the book of Acts recently, I'd encourage you to do so. Uh, but it's this, it's this incredible story of the earliest days of the church. Uh, at the church's birth, literally thousands begin coming to faith in Jesus. People from every nation and language and tribe are impacted with the good news of the gospel. In the face of deadly persecution, the gospel spreads like wildfire, and the world around these people is changed and transformed as the kingdom of God intersects the kingdoms of this world. And all of it, All of it is is catalyzed by by normal, ordinary men and women just like you and me. And as I reread this narrative, I found myself asking, man, what what made Jesus' first disciples so effective in what they did? How how were these ordinary people able to catalyze the greatest movement the world had ever seen? How did they do it? What what set them apart? I mean, these weren't well-financed individuals. They weren't well-resourced. They didn't have access to the Internet, right? No viral TikTok videos to to get the message out. They had none of the comforts or technological advances that we have today, yet they still managed to transform the world. And and friends, their effects are still being felt today. There's a reason why you and I are here. And so what are the implications uh, for us today in 2023? Well, if you have your Bible with you, uh, I invite you to come along with me to Acts chapter 4. Again, that's Acts chapter 4. And following Jesus' resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven, we have this incredible historical account of the earliest days of the church. And I want to read for you uh, just a number of verses out of this chapter. We don't have time to read the whole chapter this morning, so I'm going to pick just a couple verses here and there. But again, I encourage you to read this yourself uh, after our time today. But Acts chapter 4, picking up at verse 13, uh, I'm going to read one verse here. And just for context, again, post-resurrection, post-Pentecost, and Peter and John, two of the disciples, have been arrested and are on trial for healing a man who couldn't walk. And so listen to the word of the Lord. So when they, that is the, the Sanhedrin, the highest religious order of the day, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, And realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's stop there. As I read this verse in Acts 4, two things stand out to me. And the first is this. That Peter and John, just like the rest of Jesus' followers, that they were ordinary men. Did you catch that? Ordinary In other words, there's absolutely nothing that was uh, special or unique or remarkable about these dudes, says Luke. Rather, they were simply ordinary. Do you ever feel like that? Ordinary? Normal? Unremarkable? I know I do. Uh, Just for fun, I did um, a quick word study on the word here that Luke uses to describe Jesus' disciples. Uh, And uh, back in the the original Greek, the Koine Greek, uh, the word... That Luke uses to describe these guys as idiotates. Did you know that? Idiotates. What, what English word comes from that, do you think? Idiotates. It's wow. idiots, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a little harsh. Like, that's, that, that hurts me a little bit. But this is literally what Luke says. And this is the, friends, the, the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. And here it is Peter and John. Two of Jesus' most notable disciples. Luke says, they're just a bunch of idiots. So what does that have to do with us today, right? Uh, I want us just to think for a moment. Again, what was it that set these guys apart? What were those distinguishable markers of this, this movement called the church? This world-changing movement. It wasn't the theological pedigree. And thank you, I, uh, I don't have a bunch of masters, just one. And that is plenty, But it wasn't their theological or educational pedigree. It wasn't their political status or their religious authority. These guys didn't have any of that. Rather, these were callous-handed tradesmen. These are stinky fishermen, sleazy tax collectors, religious fanatics. Think of like the conspiracy theorists of the day. These were Jesus' first followers. They, They were unexceptional. They were ordinary. They were idiotates. And it was these people who went on to radically change the world, friends. So, why does this stand out to me? You see, the invitation that was extended to these people, ordinary people like Pete and John, it's the same invitation that has been extended to us as well. And, friends, this is good news. The invitation is for all of us, for for men, for women, for children, young, old, educated or not, regardless of ethnicity or, or social or economic standing, maybe your family background, regardless of how messy your past is, or maybe even how messy your present is. The invitation to join Jesus in the Father's mission of redeeming and restoring all things. Friends, it's for everyone, you and I included. You and I have been invited to join Jesus in his great mission of transforming the world. How cool is that? This is good news, friends. And yet I wonder, I wonder today, if for some of us here, while God has invited us to co-labor with him, to make Jesus known to those around us, rather than embracing that call as your own, I wonder for some of you here today, if you've disqualified yourselves from joining God in that great storm. Maybe for you, you've convinced yourself that it's, it's just not important enough. Or maybe you simply don't have the time. Life is just too busy. It's just too complex. What's your excuse? What's holding you back? Again, the, the invitation is for everyone. It's for you just as much as it is for, for, for Pastor Brad or for tastes like John and Pete. But friends, you, you need to believe it. And I'm going to sound kind of cliche here, but you need to receive it also. And so if you're listening to this today, and maybe you're telling yourself that, that this just, it's not for you, this whole mission of God thing, not for me, thanks, check, please. Or maybe, maybe you're hearing a voice today in your head or in your heart that says, man, you're just not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not, whatever it is, enough to be part of this. I'm telling you right now, friends, that is simply not true that is not true and i pray that in the name and in the authority of the lord jesus christ that that statement that mantra that that voice in your head that's speaking to disqualify you from participating in the mission of god here and now today that that voice will be silenced that that voice will be bound and disarmed and torn down and in its place that you would hear and believe and receive today the voice of the Father who says, I love you, I've chosen you, you are called, you are valuable, and you are needed. And you and you alone play an integral role in God's kingdom advance, even here, even now, today. Friends, God wants to use you to transform the world around you. You're a world changer. You have something to bring to the party that nobody else does. It's like that potluck, right? Bring what only you can bring. And he wants to use you to help accomplish this great mission. So would you believe it and would you receive it, just like Peter and John did? Everyday disciples, idiotates, called to participate in God's kingdom advancement on the earth. I said earlier that of that verse that we read, two things stood out to me, and the second is this. Uh, while well, each of us has been invited by God to, to join him in his mission, if we're going to successfully join Jesus in seeing the gospel proclaimed and the kingdom come and the, the world transformed for his glory, we have got to be men and women who have been with Jesus. But listen once again while I read this text for us. Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Friends, what was it that that caused these two idiotates to stand out to the religious leaders that day? Certainly it was their courage, right? We see that in the text. They saw how courageous these men were. But, but more than this, friends, it was the fact that these two ordinary dudes had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus, and the world took notice. As we think about this great invitation to each of us, when we ask the question, God, like, what's, what's needed? How, how can we see this happen in our day, in this city? Just like in Acts 4, friends, it's going to take a generation of women and men who know that they've been called, and who have been with Jesus. Are you known as someone who's been with Jesus? When people interact with you, uh, when they they see you, when they hear you speak, when they spend time with you, do they immediately think, like, man, there's something different and unique about that individual. They've been with Jesus. If I can be so bold as to say... um, Discipleship is like the buzzword these days. We're, we're talking about it, and I think we need to. And, and yet, at the same time, it seems like when we talk about discipleship or our definition of what is a disciple, what is disciple-making, it's confusing, and sometimes it's even scary or intimidating for people. I mean, what, is it, what does it really mean to be a disciple? What does that look like? And can I just say this? A discipleship is not about programs, It's not about overcomplicated methodologies. It's not about knowing more. It's not about how good your Sunday a.m. attendance is or about how much Bible trivia you've got shoved into your cranium. I mean, these are helpful things. Don't get me wrong. Be here on Sundays. Be part of this community of faith. Hillside Church. But that's not the essence of discipleship. If I could define discipleship for you this morning, I'd say it's simply this. It's faithfully following Jesus, choosing to live your life like Jesus, allowing yourself to be changed and transformed by Jesus, to look more like him. And then it's helping others to do the same. And all of it, what does it stem from? It stems from being with Jesus. See, that's discipleship, friends. It's, It's experiential, it's relational, it's real and tangible. It's a life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ that leaves you radically changed and hungry for more of him and hungry that others might know him too. And so how did these ordinary men and women go on to change the world? What was the the distinguishable marker of this this movement that changed the the course of history? It was that these people had been with Jesus for three years, right? They learned to, 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 to live like him, walk with him, love like him, think and talk like him. And, and through all of this, they were, they were empowered, they were encouraged to dedicate the entirety of their lives to him and to this same mission. They've been transformed by him, and the world took notice. And so, friends, I just want to ask you today, and as I stand here asking you, I ask myself as well, is the same true of you? Is the same true of me? Are you known as someone who's been with Jesus? Are you known as someone whose, whose character and identity and conduct is continually being, being shaped and transformed more and more into Christ-likeness? Are you learning, just like Jesus' disciples did, to walk like him, live like him, love like him? Are you being transformed by him? Well, the invitation to, to, to go change the world, well, that's for everybody If we're actually going to see this take place, just like the early church did in those early days, if we're going to experience that here in Airdrie, here in this part of our world, if we're going to have the same effect as Jesus' disciples, we have to be people who have been with him. Uh, Similarly, we need to be people who are full of the Holy Spirit and power. This is the second distinguishable marker of the early church. Uh, following Acts chapter 4, verse 13, uh, that scene where Peter and John are on trial before the Sanhedrin. Upon their release, uh, they head back to the rest of the disciples and, and, and they, they end up holding this spontaneous prayer vigil. Uh, I want to read for us another few verses from uh, Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 29. Uh, listen to these words that describe what took place at that prayer meeting. Now, Lord, they prayed, consider their threats, the, the threats of the, the religious leaders, the threats of the political establishment, the, the threats of the hostile culture around them, opposed to the values of the Christian faith. God, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then check out this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now, Friends, do you want to see with your own eyes the, the, the fullness of the kingdom of heaven come in all of its glory, intersecting brokenness and sin and demonic oppression and, and bringing about healing and restoration and shalom? And I'm not talking about just as like a one-off thing, you know, a, a here and there, a few people being healed or encountering Jesus, but I'm talking about this becoming normative in our experience and seeing hundreds, if not thousands, if not whole, whole provinces, even whole nations transformed for the glory of God, just like we see here in the book of Acts. I want to see this come to fruition in my day. And if you didn't know, all over the world today, the global church is absolutely exploding it's exploding, friends. Uh, in North America, it's, it's a different story, and it's a sad story. Just think of Europe as well, where the church is in decline, but not globally. Uh, people from every country, ethnicity, and language group, friends, they are coming to faith in Jesus for the first time at an unprecedented rate. We thought the book of Acts was wild and crazy. What's happening now on the earth, particularly the global south, is just insane. It's amazing. Uh, wh- where do you think today the fastest growing church in the world is located. Shout out some answers. It's not China, but good guess. Iran. Who said that? Where are you? Yeah. Iran. Fastest growing church in the world right now. Friends, millions of Muslims, even today, are coming to faith in Isa al masih Jesus the Messiah. Whole mosques and imams are saying, we, we, we forsake uh, the, the, the Muslim faith and we will follow Jesus. It's incredible. And so you've got to think, what's at the core of these kinds of church planting movements, disciple making movements, the, the expansive growth of the church all over the globe today? What's at the core of this? Certainly it's prayer. Prayer is the foundation of these movements. We see that as well in the book of Acts. But friends, so too is it the dependency upon the spirit of God. Why is it happening there and not here? It's a loaded question. And it's, it's very multifaceted. But I think one of the reasons is perhaps we've forgotten that the church, the church of Jesus is called to be a supernatural community, marked and shaped and empowered and utterly dependent upon the supernatural Holy Spirit of God. We've got to be people who are full of the Spirit. Are you full of the Spirit this morning? You see, the disciples, they understood that the, the absolute... Necessity of being endued with power from on high. They understood this, right? When Jesus tells them at the end of Luke's gospel to stay in Jerusalem for the gift of the Father, to, to wait until they have been clothed with power from on high, they understood that apart from the presence of God, apart from the power of the Spirit in their lives, their their witness, their ability to proclaim the gospel with boldness and conviction, their ability to stand firm in the face of trials. They understood that that none of that would be possible if they just simply tried really, really hard. If in their own strength, their own flesh, they, they attempted these things that Jesus had commanded them to do. Instead, they were so keenly aware of their complete need for the spirit of God. They knew this. They understood this. They were convinced of this. And so what did they do? They get together in a room like this and they pray, oh, God, stretch out your hand. Oh, God, we need you. Oh God, come and fill us afresh. And God answers their prayer. The place where they pray, it's it's shaken, and they are all filled again with the Spirit. Acts 2 has already happened. They've already been filled. And yet again, Acts 4, they are all filled with the Spirit. And what do they do? They leave that place empowered to preach the good news, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to walk in holiness and purity and integrity, uh, to, to intersect brokenness and, and poverty and injustice, and to bring about the good news of Jesus, wholeness and shalom. Friends, if we're going to see a supernatural move of God in our day, we've got to be filled with supernatural power from heaven. Uh, John fifteen five. Jesus says these words, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he says this line, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, man, I'm powerless. Apart from Jesus, I'm fruitless. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Uh, this was a life verse that God gave me many, many years ago, and I continue to, to go back to it often. Why? Why would I do that? Because it's good news. It's good news. I, I can't change the world. And honestly, I can barely figure out what to do one day to the next. However, through dependence on God, through daily surrender, through dependency upon his spirit at work in me and through me, you better believe that I can, that we can, that you can do whatever God is asking you to do. But we've got to be people full of the Spirit. We can't do it on our own. The disciples couldn't. Neither can we. We need the Spirit of God. Uh, In the words of Steve Addison, he's an author uh, writing on movements. Uh, He writes this The great movements of the Christian faith are only unleashed through the presence and power of God in, in the midst of his people who are faithful to his word, engaged in his mission, and led by his Spirit. And so I'll ask you again are you full of the Spirit this morning? Maybe you experienced a feeling a long, long time ago. But today, maybe you're feeling somewhat dry. Maybe you're feeling powerless. Maybe you're feeling just even unsure of what, God, what's the next step in my, in my journey? Maybe like me, you're just keenly aware that without the presence of God in your life that you were you are able to do absolutely nothing. I feel like that most days. And you need a fresh filling. If if this is you, friend, I'd ask you to ask him. Just ask. Ask for the Spirit of God. Invite him in. Uh, confess how much you need him. Ask him to fill you. Uh, theologian, maybe he's an author, maybe he's not a theologian, but Philip Yancey. He he writes this great phrase. He says, God goes where he's wanted. I think that's good theology. God goes where he's wanted. Friends, we sang about the good father who who loves to give good gifts to his kids. He loves to give the spirit to those who ask. And so ask him. Just like the disciples didn't ask for. Right, those idiotates, they got this, didn't they? They understood that they just needed to ask. And the place where they pray, it's shaken. Oh God, would you do it again? Would you do it again? Amen? Amen. Third and finally... If we're we're truly going to live into this invitation to join Jesus in his mission and to see the the world around us transformed for the glory of God, what is it going to take? Just like in in Acts 4, it's going to take each and every one of us dedicating the entirety of our lives to the mission of God, to the the advancement of his kingdom and to the transformation of all things. Now, I'm going to age myself a little bit, but I'm a child of the 90s. Uh, Maybe I look older or younger, but... I was born at the tail end of the 80s, grew up in the 90s, and so I am a product, if you will, of uh, cartoons, like Saturday morning and after school cartoons. Anyone love cartoons? Yeah, come on. So good. Uh, and I'm talking about like those, those quintessential 1990s cartoons like Rugrats and Tailspin and Inspector Gadget, Doug, Dexter's Laboratory, The Magic School Bus, uh, The Animaniacs. That's like the theme song right now that's like rolling through my head. That's kind of the theme song of my childhood. Kind of crazy. But one show in particular was my favorite. And looking back, I'm like, why? That was weird. Like, why was that one my favorite? And it was a, it was a silly little show about two mice. Anyone know what show I'm talking about? Pinky. Pinky and the Brain. So what stood out to me here, what made the biggest impression on me as a kid, it was the conversation that these two silly little idiotase mice would have with one another at the beginning and at the end of every episode. And it would go something like this, right? Pinky, he's the tall, goofy, he had a British voice. I'm like, that's kind of rude, but he's the idiotase of the group. And he would always ask, kind of this squeaky, what are we going to do tonight, brain? To which brain, the smart brains of the operation would reply, the same thing we do every night, try to take over the world. So why do I share this with you? As creepy and sadistic as this little mouse was, you know, all bent on world domination and totalitarian ideology, uh, even as a kid, I remember admiring this little mouse, this weird cartoon mouse and his commitment to the cause of taking over the world. You see, regardless of the outcome or the obstacle that got in his way, and surely, like every single episode, something goes awry. His plan is foiled time and time again. Yet this little mouse, every episode, man, he is absolutely relentless in his pursuit of changing the world. What are we going to do tonight, Brain? The same thing we do every night. The same thing we will continue to do time and time again until we see the results that we desire. We're going to try to take over the world. Once again, looking at Jesus' disciples and asking that question, what are those distinguishable markers of the early church? How are they able to change the, 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 the world around them? I think it was this. Friends, they were absolutely committed to the mission of God. They were absolutely committed to the cause of Christ and nothing, I mean nothing, not, not poverty or illness or disease, not public humiliation or rejection, not persecution or, or jail time or, or, or floggings, not even a threat of death, nothing could stop this group of ragtag, ordinary, idiotic women and men who had been with Jesus and were full of the Spirit. Nothing could stop them from catalyzing the greatest movement the world has ever seen. You see, for them, the call to join Jesus in the Father's mission, it wasn't optional. As Jesus says, you know, as the Father has now sent me, I send you. Go, he says, preach the gospel. Go continue what I started. Go advance the kingdom. Go change the world. Friends, the disciples, they they knew that this was an invitation for everyone. And they knew that this was plan A and that there was no plan B. And so what did they do? They simply said yes to the call of God on their lives. They took Jesus at his word. They believed him. They were surrendered to the will of the Father, just like Jesus modeled to them. They were obedient to the commands of Christ. They they went into all the world. They got out of their comfort zones. And they committed the entirety of their lives to this thing. You see, it wasn't just like a weekend gig for them. It wasn't a Sunday side hustle, something that you just, you just do you know, every, every so often when it's convenient to me. This was a life-altering commitment, a holistic commitment. Every moment of every day, every situation, regardless of what the outcome was, this was a radical commitment to seeing the mission of God, to see the world transformed. Friends, are you committed likewise to participating with God in his mission? if we're going to see and experience the transformation that we long to and that the world is desperately groaning for, it's going to take each and every one of us. A generation of men and women and kids, young and old, a generation who have been with Jesus, who are full of the Spirit, and who have dedicated the entirety of our lives to the mission of God, to the advancement of the kingdom, to the redemption and restoration of all things. Friends, we are called to this. The mission hasn't changed The work hasn't stopped. The kingdom is still advancing, and we get to participate. As one of my uh, professors a handful of years ago would say, the water is warm. Jump in. In closing, I want to leave you one more quote from author Steve Addison. In writing on movements that change the world, he says this, God loves to choose unlikely people, and he works to remake them from the inside out. He inspires innovative insight regarding his mission and how it is to be carried out. Biblical truths and practices are rediscovered. A growing band of ordinary people emerges who have a heartfelt and missionary zeal that knows no bounds. Despite opposition from powerful forces, the gospel spreads into unreached fields. The existing church is renewed, and society is transformed. Oh, that this will be true in our day. Amen? In our church in our generation. Amen. And so friends, I want to ask you today one more question. For this to be true in your life, in the life of this church, in the life of this community, this city, the city that I love, what do you need from Jesus today? What do you need from Jesus? Is it, is it a renewed call, a renewed invitation from him to join him in his mission? Is it a renewed sense of identity? Is it it to recommit your life to God's kingdom purposes? Maybe you need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Maybe you need to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you need to cast aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What do you need? I want to pray for us as we close, and I think Pastor Brad's going to come up after that. But let's just take 30 seconds, and let's invite the Spirit of God to speak to us, to show them what perhaps our next step is today. And so, Spirit of God, we we love you. We just declare our need for you, and we thank you that you are the God who speaks. Father, thank you that you have a word for each of us today. Perhaps you've already spoken it. Perhaps it's still coming. Uh, But Jesus, we invite you by your Spirit to minister to us now and to share with us what it is that we we need from you. And Lord, I thank you that you meet us where we're at. thank you that we can bring our our needs and requests before you and that you are so faithful uh, to supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And so, Lord, speak to my friends today. What do they need from you? Is it a touch? Is it a whisper or a word? Is it an encouragement? Is it a fresh encounter with your spirit? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Thank you for having me with you today.
2: Of moments, up emotions. Put Thanks again
0: for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know his purpose and know his power in their lives and we pray this message minister to you at hillside church we're a family not by blood but a family that's been bought by blood as family we go
2: Instead of you, put on display your best and brightest ironically the stage is where we hide us. that's why we need you Lord we need you God we can't do what only you do Holy Spirit